This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jen Wilkin and JT English. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Good morning. Hey, Kyle Walla. Uh, okay, that's, we're done. <laughs> Are you sure? I feel like we're we have done. two or three more episodes where we can I think this. I think the audience is done. I'm done. I promise um, you that the audience done. is not done. I promise you. Um, I'm going to speak for them. Um, I'm going to speak on their behalf. Uh, and uh, today we, we're, we're going to jump right into it because we have a lot to cover and not a lot of time to do it in. Uh, we are going to be looking at Romans 11 verses 1 through 24. And I'm going to have Jen actually read not all of that, but a portion of that. I'm going to re- have her read chapter 11 verses 1 through 10. So take it away, Jen. Okay. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap a stumbling block, and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. Okay. Nice menacing start to the podcast. Yeah, not a <clears throat> Why did you have me stop uplifting. on verse 10? That's like such a bummer. Well, you know, um, I just uh, felt like... A mean, actually, mean koala Kyle. There he is. Yep, that's what it was. Um, no, I wanted us to jump into this passage pretty quickly because... This is, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I, I think Romans 11 is on par with Romans 9 for being two of the most challenging chapters in Romans. I don't know that I'm breaking ground on that observation. I think that they're both fairly difficult and they're both tied to trying to explain a very similar concept, which is Israel's relationship to the covenant promises of God and the Gentiles' inclusion in that. Mm-hmm. And so this is another section that begins with a question mark. Uh, which is, we, we've seen this throughout the letter. Paul uses this as a way to move the flow of thought. Uh, these questions, these rhetorical questions, mm-hmm. you know, I asked then, has God rejected his people? By no means. Praise uh, the Lord. <laughs> that's really good news. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the central question of these verses is what? What's the central question of this passage, JT? Is God faithful? Mm-hmm. Yep. That's it. I mean, is God faithful? And who? And, and this is this probably. I don't know if this is phrased the right way. Who is he being faithful to? To that's good. If we were trying to like kind of like narrow it down a little bit, who does his faithfulness reach? And and what is he doing so that they might participate and be recipients of his kind mercy, grace through faithfulness? Yeah. I want to acknowledge the elephant in the room at this point, or maybe it's the little fuzzy bear in the room at this point. Um, that we have we have now heard these things. Multiple times. For the women who are in the study that I'm teaching right now, they're like, when does this end? Like, why are we hearing this again? Like, and I hate to say that about a book of the Bible, but it can feel like, gosh, he's covering the same ground over and over again. And I, I think it's important for us to remind listeners, like, repetition is the mother of learning. If he's repeated it this many times, there is a reason. And 
how many of us have questioned the faithfulness of God based on our own personal mm-hmm. experience of uh, how life is going or of how things are playing out. And here he is saying, look, you don't get to look around you and redefine what God's faithfulness looks like. I'm telling you what the faithfulness of God looks like so that you can rest in the promises of God. P.S. You weren't paying attention. And so um, I, I think it's good for us to just remember this is a P.S. You weren't paying attention because we, as, as New Testament believers living in 2022, we don't know the Old Testament promises. And so it might be easy for us to, JT, you're smirking at me. <laughs> we'll get to it. Okay. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to get to that. <laughs> um, so I, I think it's important for us to say, hey, let's not be bored. Let's pay attention and ask, why is this being said again? Uh, we're all kind of like, oh my gosh, can we just get to chapter 12? Um, but, but there's still important things for us to see here. He is very very much going back and reiterating what he said in chapter nine, um, things that you might argue that those of us on this podcast moved past, you know, relatively quickly. So now we can stare them down in chapter 11. We, we can, and we will, because one of the big questions here, so let's just answer resoundingly at the very top to the question, is God faithful? The answer is yes. Uh-huh. Paul knows the answer is yes. Why is Paul presuming this question? Why is he preemptively responding? What objection is he anticipating, JT? Like, why is that? Certainly, we believe that Paul believed that God is faithful. He's made that abundantly Mm -hmm. clear by the time he gets here. Why is he going? Uh, Let me make sure that you guys don't miss this. God hasn't failed. He is faithful. I mean, let's just make this really simple. Take yourself back to a Roman marketplace in 60 AD. And the people who are going to hear this letter have maybe siblings, Maybe it's somebody who like runs the grocery store that's down the street who's Jewish. And he's maybe he just came back from the exile in 61 AD, and he's trying to figure out this person, this Christian who's now a part of the church in Rome, is trying to figure out, but has God been faithful to him? Mm-hmm. Has God been faithful mm-hmm. to him? That's the question. And that's, we're not going to fight today, I promise, because I'm going <laughs> to win. So there's not a fight. <laughs> But but in all seriousness, that's the question like on the ground that they're asking. Like this Roman believer who has now placed his faith in Jesus and he's the Gentile who, as we heard in the last episode, was like ignorant of God's promises and he's not heard of it before. And now God's been faithful to him. And then at the end, but this disobedient and rebellious people, God's been faithful to them also. What does it mean? And like, we don't have to go into all of the kind of the weeds here, but a big question is, what does it mean in verse 1, his people? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, what does it mean in verse 11? I ask then, have they? Who's they? Yep. Like those are the two questions of this chapter. Well, I, I, I think that the the answer to those particular mentions in verse 1 and verse 11 are in reference to Israel. Uh, right. And I think that that's but clear. what do you mean by Israel? Well, I mean I, – <laughs> Well, I think that Paul is making a distinguishment between matters. two dimensions of Israel. I think Paul is distinguishing, as he does in verses 1 through 6, between a physical Israel and a spiritual Israel. Right. Totally and, agree. And that Paul is being very clear. God has always been faithful to his people within the scope, the larger, more general scope of physical Israel throughout the history of redemption. Mm-hmm. Not every one of those who were biological physical descendants of Abraham comprise the spiritual Israel, which he would refer to as the remnant or the elect. That has always been a smaller grouping within a larger corporate whole. Mm -hmm. 
and that the Gentile inclusion is the proper fulfillment of the inclusion of those who were outside of the nation of Israel, yep. but who were a part of the people of God from before the foundation of the world. I agree completely. So then who is they in verse 11? I think that the they is the physical nation of Israel. It's the ethnic state of Israel. Right. Did they stumble and fall? Uh, that they uh, Did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles as to make Israel jealous. So they so, haven't fallen? Not all of them have fallen. They're, and I don't think that the idea here is that they haven't fallen. I think that the idea here is that they have stumbled in order for a greater purpose. It's not that their failure is purposeless. Their failure was on purpose. And that purpose was in the flow of the history of redemption to demonstrate God's Gentile inclusion in a way that was absolutely explicit in the history of redemption. I don't think that what we could say is that no one, regardless of ethnic or cultural background, is completely abandoned by God. God abandons no one. People abandon God. Israel abandoned God. They did so. They did so repeatedly. They did so regularly. And they did so in the face of God's absolutely revealed promises for their people. And yet they repeatedly abandoned and disparaged the holiness of Yahweh. And subsequently God used their failure to make clear what had always been his purpose, which was the full inclusion of the Gentiles into the full promises and benefits of God. But if you're asking me, do I think think that for the larger group of Israel, not spiritual Israel, but for the physical Israel, that there are specific promises that God is yet to fulfill on their behalf because of a unique standing they have, I think the answer is unequivocally no. Unequivocally? Unequivocally. Mm, okay. I don't know how you could read this passage and think there are still, what about this passage do you think tells me that there are promises that are still yet to be fulfilled for the larger group of Israel? Here's the thing. Well, actually, I want Jen to answer first. No. I'll go next. No, I'm watching. <laughs> I'm having fun. Uh, for those of us who are just listening along and can't see, Kyle just brandished his Bible when he said that last statement. <laughs> so I feel like JT is now holding his up and it's his turn. <laughs> no, I, here's the thing. If we were, if you were to like really press me, like really press me, everything Kyle just said, I agree with. <laughs> but, but, dot, dot. dot. <laughs> I, I, I do think that an un, like, oh gosh, what's the right way to say this? Mm -hmm. Take your I, time. I, can I retract? <laughs> I think unequivocally is a little bit high handed. <laughs> That's what I want to push on a little bit. <laughs> I, I, I felt. I felt kind of dirty after I said it, so uh, and then I doubled down on it. That's yeah, you my did. Shame. You did twice. You were in uh, your preacher voice there for a second. I was. I was. I would say uh, I have a. There are some things in Scripture that I have the highest degrees of confidence in. Jesus Christ is the incarnate Son of God and is Lord over all things. Uh, I, there are other things that I have great degrees of confidence in, but not the highest degrees of confidence in. I have I have a great degree of confidence that when I read Romans 11, and specifically Romans 11 and the flow of Romans 9 through 11, I think that what Paul is, is almost seems to be ham-fisted in his approach to trying to communicate to me is that, listen, Gentiles have been included into the blessings that have always been true and the true receipts of the elect, the remnant, the people of God, past, present, and future, of whom the physical nation of Israel, I would say, I'm about to make a very Presbyterian argument here, but... 
That's mm. where this gets funky. <laughs> but because the physical nation of Israel. That's why I was uh, smirking at Jen earlier. She said New Testament believers. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would say there was always an elect, a remnant within the larger nation of Israel that were heirs to the salvific promises of God in yeah. a way that was unique. Uh-huh. The rest of the nation benefited from being adjacent mm-hmm. to those covenant mm-hmm. blessings. That's fine. That's not the argument. But that's like, yeah, that's fine. So That's not the argument. And I'm not well, even I, trying to make the argument. I'm saying you are setting up a false characterization. No, I'm saying I know that the other side of this is that there are still special promises yet to be fulfilled. And that if God doesn't fulfill them, then Israel has a right to view him as failing. And I think that I just cannot go there because no, the logical core. That's not I think it. the, It's that I he think, hasn't fulfilled his promises yet. Again, this is not even my position. But if what we're but you so here's love to bring it up every chance you no, get. No, I really don't. I really don't. The text matters. Theological positions don't. Well, hold on okay. there. But well, Kyle and I don't agree with that. I mean, come on, yeah, dude. Of I'm not saying you agree with it, but uh-huh. like, okay, so verse 11. I ask then, have they stumbled so as to fall? Now, who's they again? I believe it is the larger group of the people of Israel. The yeah. largest conception of Israel. Yep, I totally agree. So verse 22, same language. Therefore, consider God's kindness and severity. Severity towards those who have fallen has Israel fallen yes and no it says no it does absolutely just say, not it is what it says in say verse 11 no. like i'm it not does, no, no no hold on it says no absolutely it's, not it, it does it, not it's you want to talk about unequivocal language absolutely not make it make is unequivocal language they have the, not fallen is what verse, paul says here the verse reads they stumbled in order that they might fall he's he's communicating attention he's not saying they have had a catastrophic failure of their like very separation existence from god that he's but he is saying they failed in what god asked them to do they they did it says absolutely not, Kyle. I'm not. I, I know it's, what the I, verse I'm, I'm says. I'm not trying. <laughs> you're Kyle reading. Just, you just said they failed. Yeah, I know. He clarified for you that they stumbled, but they did not fall. Okay. So then are but, they under severity or kindness? Verse 22. I, a portion of them are under severity. No. This is you, the, you, hang on. Hang on. Hang on. I'm, Kyle, I agree with you. I'm not <laughs> trying to say I disagree. I'm trying to say. <laughs> Is this what we're supposed to not be doing right now? Yeah. Yeah, we're getting very close to it. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of stumbling. So here, here, here's, what I, here's what I think would be helpful. The three of us agree about this. We okay. don't disagree about this. Is that fair? Can we say that? Yes. Yeah. I think Can that's you, fair. Could you please clearly state, JT, what we agree upon? Because I think if I were listening right now, I'd be like, I'm done. Yeah. God is entirely faithful, and he's entirely faithful to those who have placed their faith in Jesus. They placed their faith in Jesus because of Jesus' faithfulness to them in the gift of the cross, burial, resurrection, ascension, and gift of the Holy Spirit. God is the one who is doing this from beginning to end. We are recipients of his mercy, full stop, period. That includes Jew and Gentile, male and female, barbarian and slave, Scythian. Like this is given Everyone. to everybody. That's, that's yeah, what Paul I, is I trying to say here. Mm-hmm. That's what we're saying. Mm-hmm. Full agreement here. Mm-hmm. All I'm trying to do is highlight that there are a few theological positions within the downstream trajectory of evangelicalism that disagree about how to interpret these verses. And I can often feel like that there are false characterizations, mischaracterizations, simple readings of the text that don't do justice to the position that they hold. You mean plain readings or? (laughs) I I would prefer literate readings. (laughs) 
that's part of it for me. I, I mean, just I will put my cards on the table. The whole idea of that I feel like the other arguments require too many gymnastics to pull off personally. But I mean, that's usually how I decide what I believe versus what I don't believe. We live in a possession and money obsessed culture. But what does the Bible say about generosity? In his new book, A Short Guide to Gospel Generosity, author Nathan Harris shows us that the answer to our obsession with possessions is turning to the gospel, because only in the gospel can we find the type of life transformation that enables us to turn our focus from ourselves and back to others, to give generously, and to follow in the way of Christ. To learn more about the book, visit GuideToGospelGenerosity.com. That's GuideToGospelGenerosity.com. Do you ever get stuck wondering how to study a Bible passage? The Courage for Life Study Bibles for Women and the Courage for Life Study Bibles for Men have over 1,400 Bible studies. That's a Bible study on every page of Bible text. Access to the Filament Bible app lets you dive even deeper. If you download the app and you scan the page number, you can open up a world of resources, including over 25,000 additional study notes, hundreds of videos, and a full audio Bible. Start discovering at CourageForLifeBible.com. That's CourageForLifeBible.com for incredible study notes and an incredible study Bible. I actually, so Tom, Tom Schreiner, he's been on the podcast uh-huh. before. He said something to me that was super helpful about this passage in particular. So we're, what we're talking about is a covenantal reading of scripture in the three yeah. or four forms of that, or yeah. a dispensational reading of scripture in the three or four forms of that. Give the, he give said a short, helpful piece. He said, give a short definition of covenantal versus dispensational and then tell us what what Tom said. Yeah, the two biggest differences, there are more than right. than one or two, but the two the two biggest differences are a covenantal reading of scripture sees is going to emphasize the unity of the biblical text from Genesis to Revelation, which of course dispensationalists want to do also. Sure. It's not that they're seeing disunity. They're just beginning to see that God's covenantal promises have some texture to it and have some um this unity is way too strong of a word for at least a progressive dispensationalist, but they're seeing like, look what God said in Genesis chapter 12 for, through 17. That's different than what God is doing in Acts chapter two. Not different in terms of like, not like the same, like apple and banana or apple and orange, but different in the sense of God's doing different things. And that's, that's okay. A dispensationalist is going to want to read God's covenantal history as progressive is, is the way that I think the, the best dispensationalists today would want to say it as that we should not. So like, for example, in Genesis chapter three, verse 15, that God is going to crush the head of the serpent. Of course, we know that's Jesus, but Moses didn't know that was Jesus. Genesis chapter 12, verses one through three, the one who's going to come to bless the nations. Of course, we understand that as being Jesus. Moses, Abram did not know that as being Jesus. And so trying to do, if a dispensationalist were on this podcast, they would want to say, that's not a plain reading of the text as it stands in Genesis chapter 12. You are reading something into it. That's what they would say. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> Kyle, <laughs> Kyle, Kyle was on the struggle bus <laughs> over there just breathing. <laughs> Again, we, what we're saying on this podcast is we agree. Uh-huh. We agree. Like there's, there's actually not a lot of theological disagreement happening here. I just think like in, in a text like this, have they fallen? Absolutely not. Therefore, they're under God's kindness. That's something that should be wrestled with. 
is all all I'm trying to advocate for is that it's more challenging than dunking on a covenantalist or dunking uh, uh, on a dispensationalist. Uh, agreed, a hundred percent. And I apologize for the use of unequivocal because that is what I was doing. <laughs> I, I, let me ask you a question, JT. Okay, so yes, okay. Hang on, I read producer from- Brad. Can we get that clip to make sure that's on the next commercial? <laughs> Thank you. Um, I, Kyle Walla I, just apologized. I think there is a tension that Paul has set up in Romans 9, and I think it is reverberating through 11. And I think verse 11 of chapter 11 is a part of capturing that tension. If we scoot down, not to 22, but to verses 13 through 16, when he says, now I'm speaking to you Gentiles in as much then as I'm an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. So here again, we're getting this kind of dynamic yep. of mm-hmm. it's not all the Jews, it's some of the Jews. So it's not that all have fallen, it's that some have fallen in verse 11. Mm. It's not that all are under severity, it's that under some are under severity. So we go forward, and this idea of branches broken off, being grafted in, it assumes there is a healthy tree to be grafted into. Mm-hmm. But Paul is not saying yeah. the whole tree of Israel is healthy. So I think, in, and maybe we're on the same page here, maybe my language was unnecessarily incendiary. But That doesn't sound I, like you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, pot calling kettle so, black. <laughs> So when you when you when you read this through, it appears to me like there is this tension that he set up all the way back with Jacob and Esau in Romans nine, which is that listen, Jews specifically, mm-hmm. you might be under the presumption, as I have already addressed with you multiple times in this letter, that just because you come from Abraham, everybody that has emerged from that tree is good to go and is the proper recipient of some or all of the covenant blessings. I'm telling you that has never been the case. There has always been a dynamic within Israel and subsequently the Gentiles have been grafted in to the blessings that are guaranteed for the spiritual Israel. Yeah. So if you repent and place your faith in Yahweh and the Son of God, Jesus Christ, as Lord, conquering death through resurrection, then guess what? You have now become a participant in a much longer story than you were familiar with. And mm-hmm. you can now trace your lineage all the way back to God's covenant fidelity to Abraham. Now, I am I know that is a strongly covenantal argument to make, but that is how I read this passage, which is the root of the tree goes goes all the way back Um, in the Proto-Uangelion in Genesis 3.15, made explicit in the covenant made with Abraham in Genesis 15, and that the Gentiles, repenting and believing Gentiles, not just Gentiles indiscriminately, but Yahweh-fearing, Christ-worshiping Gentiles are now being included. I know that some say, but I'm asking you, Mm -hmm. would you say, okay, yes, that's true, but there are still some blessings some promises that that are going to find a unique fulfillment for the broader conception of Israel that are still on the table. God hasn't failed in them because he merely hasn't yet delivered them, and he will. Yeah. No, I, I wouldn't. You, you and I are on the exact same page theologically about this. I just think that it's important to make sure, and, that, and you're doing it, make sure that we represent the other positions faithfully and well. So like it, it, to continue the text, we've not read this out loud yet, but right after verse 22, even they, that being unbelieving physical Israel, even they 
if they do not remain in unbelief, will be grafted in. Because right, God yep. has the power to graft them in again, which suggests they've been broken off. Like the, and that's what he has just said. And so the, the good news here, Paul is rooting this entire argument in the nature and character of God. Is yes. he faithful? Is he merciful? What does he do with people who have been unfaithful but repent and mm-hmm. believe and give allegiance to King Jesus? He grafts them back in. And so the good news here is that even if Israel, unbelieving, natural, ethnic Israel has been broken off, people— some of them haven't. Like Paul says, some of them have not fallen. Some of them have believed in Jesus. That's And again, they're sitting in this church in Rome. Right. And they're like, that's me. Mm-hmm. Like, that's me. I've believed mm-hmm. in Jesus. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. then it's like, but grandma hasn't yet. Mm-hmm. Or right. my cousin hasn't yet. Or that yep. the, the, the supermarket guy down the street who's you know still going and making sacrifices, he hasn't believed yet. Mm-hmm. What Paul's mm-hmm. saying is that despite the fact that they haven't believed yet, God is gracious, merciful, and faithful to the promise that he made to Adam and Eve, that he made to Moses, that he made to Abraham, that he made to Noah. Like, God is still that same God. And if you repent and believe and place your faith upon Jesus, you're going to be grafted in again. Mm-hmm. So again, it's all rooted in who God is, not who we are. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's, that's true. I think that's a good way to say it. It's a good way to say it because I do think one of the misunderstandings understandings that can, and this was one of the questions we had here, which is that I I think that sometimes my concern with how Israel's role is discussed in the history of redemption is that their primacy of place in the order of who received revelation can be conflated with their primacy of place in God's grand scheme of salvation. And that to me is a confusion. And I know that some would push back on that, but I think Israel does have primacy of place in terms of who received revelation. I don't believe that they have primacy of place in terms of who stands in salvation. Mm -hmm. And I think that sometimes that is, and and progressive dispensationalism, JT's already introduced this, dispensationalism and covenantal theology are a spectrum. There are specialized representations. When we say progressive dispensationalism, we're talking about the school of dispensational thought that at present has the most amount of scholarly credibility in the Christian community as a representation of dispensationalism. So I just want to say, progressive dispensationalism is not progressive, meaning it's liberal or something like that. It's a specialized designation of a kind of dispensational thought. Just to be clear, Mm -hmm. because I know progressive can get used really loosely. We're saying that it's a way of viewing the structure of the covenants and the flow of the history of redemption that honors some key dispensational values, specifically in reference to historical grammatical readings of the Old Testament and the role of unique unfulfilled blessings to the physical people of Israel that are yet to come. Mm -hmm. So those are kind of two distinguishers of progressive dispensationalism. They hold those things and they pay a little bit more attention to the covenant structure of the Bible. When but narrow, narrower, and you know they're out there, JT. And I think that they're There's more in a pop. Not many. Really, I feel no. like they're a lot more. I feel like if I pull a Christian out of, if I go to a Christian conference, evangelical conference, why? And I just randomly select. You're going to the 10, wrong conferences. <laughs> well, that, that might be true. I don't go to any conferences. So, but if I just pull ten, Jen, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong here. You, you you're out there a lot more than we are. I love to correct if I just you when you're wrong. Ten Christian. <laughs> 10 Christian people out of a circle of a of broadly evangelical and I asked them give me the bible's view of God's covenant faithfulness to Israel I will get a broadly dispensational answer with more than half of them 
And I think that is the influence of Left Behind. It's got to be a huge part yeah, of it. Yeah, I, I think you're right. <laughs> now, JT, hang on. I don't know if Left Behind is a huge part. Well, it, you know, actually it might be. Um, but I'll tell you the other way that I see this rearing its head is there's just a lot of fascination with Jewish ceremonial law that still exists among believers today. So if I had a nickel for the number of people who've gone to a Seder dinner and said it completely changed the way that I think about salvation. And so like, I don't want to say that it's not wrong to go to a Seder dinner and have recognition about the depth and beauty of your salvation. But the next step in that is that people develop what I would consider to be a sort of strange fascination with Jewish ceremonial law practiced today. Like they they think, gosh, if a Seder dinner made me feel that in connection with my faith, uh, what are some of the other practices that I might observe? And that to me is like why the book of Hebrews was written. And so mm. I, what I don't want is for us to think, gosh, if I could just get more Jewish in my Christianity, then, um, then the covenant blessings would really come to life for me. Now, I say that as someone who does very much want people to know the Old Testament. And I think that's the disconnect is like people People don't know the Old Testament, and so um, so they're drawn to ceremonial practices as a way to get connected to what they think Christianity really is. I don't, maybe I'm not saying this right, but but that no, I is. I think it's helpful. That's the way that I see this um, more often than just like, oh no, I think there's a special plan for for the Jews. It's it's. I think there's something special for me if I try to get more Jewish in the way that I think about Christianity. I think it's helpful, Jen. Do you I guys like, see I like that? I framing that a lot. Definitely. It's okay if you don't. I mean, we're both still operating in North Texas where there is a great density of like almost Christianese and like there's so much of a a convergence in North Texas of different kind of subspecies of Christian witness, Mm -hmm. right? So you almost allow Mm -hmm. for a more buffet style of like, yeah, I'm going to do this. I know you're in Colorado. It's not nearly as Christian-y, so to speak, as North Texas, but certainly you saw it when you were here, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, th- I think that's fair. I, I'm not. I'm not trying to disagree. It's just this is a for our listeners. This is a nuanced conversation that requires biblical precision, theological charity, and also as we're kind of getting into now, kind of like a contextualization of where are you in the current. Like, where do you live? Like, mm-hmm. this this conversation would make no sense in some parts of the world. Mm-hmm. In some parts of the world, it makes perfect sense. And so that's what theology is. You're trying to do, you're trying to be faithful to the text that God has given to us and revealed by the Holy Spirit, trying to come up with faithful theological formations that help us live and walk in faithfulness and worship of God, but also contextualization. And you guys are in a different context than I am. I think that's fair. Mm-hmm. There are, there are. I'll just say this, there are some dispensational churches that are, like Storyline's not one of them. We hold to the Baptist faith and message. We hold to the apostles, Chalcedonian and Nicene creeds. There are a few churches here that would be frustrated with the way that I'm even representing dispensationalism, <laughs> you know? It's like, I'm not on that side of the spectrum. I just think Paul's asking these questions not rhetorically. They're meant to be answered. That's why he answers them. I'll say this. There's two resources that I would, if people are like interested in digging into this a little bit, the two resources that I would commend to you first 
Gentry and Wellam's book, Kingdom Through Covenant. That's mm-hmm. a big book. They also have a smaller book that you can just find on Amazon. That case is going to be called Progressive Covenantalism. That's where I find myself kind of most happy. Mm-hmm. There's also a book called Progressive Dispensationalism by Craig Blazing and Daryl Bach that's going to give more of the, dis- the, the kind of the contemporary dispensational reading that's going to try to like highlight these questions and others throughout Romans chapter 9 through 11 specifically. That I would just say, like, if you're interested in this, spend some time digging in. I I wasn't trying to be pejorative earlier when I said, like, the text matters. All three of us would say amen to that. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is a a thorny issue. And if you start, it's like one of those, this conversation is like one of those domino theological conversations. You hit one domino Mm -hmm. and a hundred other dominoes are hit for you. And so it takes time. It takes, like, if you're thinking about this, wrestling with it, like, hang out with your home group or a spouse or your roommates and friends and, like, keep reading the Bible. And then read it again, and then ask questions, and then ask questions again. Like, that's that's what we're doing here. This is a second or third tier issue. We all agree, but there would also be people on this podcast who would disagree with us that we'd be happy to be in in church partnership with, in covenantal faithful, faithfulness with. Like, this is not a matter of, like, I have to break fellowship with somebody over this. This is more right. just like, we love the Bible. Let's read it, and let's read it better together. I was just going to make one more book recommendation. JT, I don't, I don't know if you've seen this already, but I got it, and it just came out on February 8th. And I have like 75% done. So I don't know if the last 25% will be good or bad, but it's called Covenantal and Dispensational Theologies, Four Views on the Continuity of Scripture. And it's got chapters from Michael Horton, uh, representing covenant theology, Stephen Wellam, representing progressive covenantalism, uh, Daryl Bach, who is probably the most sophisticated representative of progressive dispensationalism, and then Mark Snowberger, who's doing traditional dispensationalism. And it's really, really good. Uh, They write individual chapters on their own position and then they respond to one another at the end. Uh, and it's really good to just get the spectrum of views, and it's very charitable. So check it out. Those are the right authors. I have, I've not seen that, but those are the authors you want to have writing a book like that. Yeah. Jen, you had something? Yeah, I just wanted to just bring us back to a really easy application point for us today. So we've talked about mm. for them and for then, you know, we've talked about for us and for always, in a lot of ways we've talked about what this means to the church of all time, but for you and for now in the church that you're in, just pointing you back to what chapters 9 through 11 are really saying, it's, a, it's an expansion of the parable of um, the two sons, of the prodigal son and the son who is obedient. Um, and that father in that parable is faithful to both the younger son and the older son, right? He's He proclaims um, the truth of his grace to both of them um, in word mm-hmm. and in deed. And so when you're looking at your local church today, you're a mixture of those who believe they could earn God's right, God's grace and those who were so far from it um, that they thought it would never come to them. And what Romans 9 through 11 is saying, God is faithful to both of those. He calls them and he brings them into the covenant community. And because he is faithful to both of them, then there must be a way for them to live in harmony with one another, at peace with one another. And then as Paul is emphasizing, on mission together for the same message. Yeah, that's good. Especially that last point. Now you have Jew and Gentile partnering mm-hmm. in mission together through mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit. And that's where we're, we're heading. We're not quite there yet, but in chapter 12 through 16, he said, here's what this mission looks like. Now as you love one another and take the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's good. Well, we'll get to come back to this a little bit when we get to verses 25 through 32, and then we'll end in praise and worship as we should, as we consider the deep things of God in verses 33 through 36. So on our next episode, we'll look at Romans 
11, verses 25 through 36. If you're looking for us online, you can find Knowing Faith on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. If you haven't yet, check out our sister show, The Family Discipleship Podcast. They have incredible guests on this spring, and uh, it's just really a show worth listening to. If you're wondering how you can support the show, a really simple and easy way would be to leave us a review on iTunes. I know that seems like a small, inconsequential thing, but the algorithm rewards it. And so if you want other people to find out about Knowing Faith, then you can leave us a review, and that will help us get to a wider audience. We hope you enjoyed the discussion today. Grace and peace.